You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you want to support the podcast further, consider going over to Patreon. This is where you can vote on episode topics, get behind the scenes stuff, discounts on merch, and a lot of other cool stuff I got planned for the future. You can find the Patreon link in the description below. Let's get to the show. This week's episode is in celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. This week's episode is about a princess, and any princess story begins the same way. Once upon a time. Well, to be more specific, once upon a not so long ago, on a beautiful island with a gentle breeze and beautiful flowers, lived a nation of proud people with a kingdom by the sea. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. These people called their home Hawaii. They had lived on the island for generations, centuries, establishing their own society and traditions with a monarchy that was believed to have divine permission to rule and to look after the nation. King Kalakua, the ruler at the time, had taken the throne in 1874. He had traveled the world to learn about other cultures and bring back the very best of what he found to his people including electricity. But the future of the Kalakaua dynasty was uncertain. King Kalakaua and his wife, Queen Kapiolani, had no children of their own. They anxiously anticipated and waited for one of King Kalakaua's siblings to have a child. And that day would come on October 16, 1875, when King Kalakaua's sister Princess Miriam Likilike and her husband, a Scottish businessman named Archie Cleghorn, welcomed their first and only child, Princess Victoria Kayulani Cleghorn. This little bundle of joy, at only just a few minutes old, represented hope for the future of Hawaii. She would eventually be the heir to the throne. Upon her arrival, the entire kingdom was celebratory. Guns fired and church bells rang. This princess entered the world destined to inherit the kingdom of Hawaii after her elders. She was fourth in line to the throne. Princess Kailani would spend her early years swimming, surfing, and riding her own pony named Fairy. She also owned and looked after quite a few peacocks. 
In fact, some even called her the Peacock Princess. Her early life was nearly everything you would imagine for a princess, straight out of a storybook. The only thing that did not fit into this charmed life was that her parents argued fairly frequently. They had a significant age gap, but that was not nearly as wide as their cultural divide. Princess Lique was a strong-willed and social woman. Her husband was a much more traditional man with Western views due to his Scottish heritage. He was a business owner and a rational man, but her parents' difficult marriage was only but a small blemish compared to the sorrow that lay ahead for the little princess. In the 1880s, Princess Lique Lique's health began to deteriorate. At this point, Princess Kailani had already lost people close to her, including her governess, Marion Barnes, and her godmother, Princess Ruth Kailigolani. She worried deeply about her mother's failing health. People began to suspect that Princess Lique Lique had been cursed. Someone must have brought this upon her for their own benefit. Even worse, people suspected that curse came from her own brother, King Kalakua. But this couldn't be the case, right? He was already a well-loved ruler, and even more importantly, he loved his family. The exact illness, being medical or supernatural, did not change the fact that Princess Kailani was about to lose her mother. In her final moments, Princess Lique Lique requested to see her daughter. She was only 11 years old. When she arrived, she saw her mother laying in bed, a shell of her former self. Her mother requested that everyone leave the room. Princess Lique Lique knew she would die soon and had a message for her daughter. Princess Kailani listened closely as her mother delivered a prophecy to her. Princess Lique Lique had to tell her child that she saw a future for her that went against everything she believed, that her daughter would never marry, and that she would never take the throne. The throne that she would be the heir to eventually. Princess Kailani's head was spinning. Should she believe in her mother's prophecy or dismiss it? The next day on February 2nd, 1887, Princess Lique Lique died of unknown causes at the age of 36. There was a funeral in her honor, which of course was a very sad occasion. Even a volcano that had been erupting on the big island, killing and devastating some of the local Hawaiians, stopped not long after Princess Lique Lique's death. Princess Kailani would forever carry the sadness of losing her mother. The next few years, the princess's love for the people would not waver despite the loss of her mother. She remained kind and shy. She learned as much as she could about her future responsibilities and about being a lady. But her mother's prophecy was already starting to come true. The future she envisioned for herself, unbeknownst to her, was starting to slip away. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's rewind for just a little bit. Let's go back to January 1779. Missionaries arrive in Hawaii to preach the gospel. 
they establish business within the existing communities and acquire land. Now let's fast forward to 1886. The sons of those very same missionaries are now interested in more than just living in Hawaii and spreading the word of God. I'm assuming you know where this is going. They wanted control over the island and called themselves the Hawaiian League. Some held more conservative views and just wanted a better balance of power. Others held radical views, including annexation. These 13 extremists would later deem themselves the Committee of Safety. They had even launched a smear campaign back in the United States, convincing people that the native Hawaiians were savages and their king was corrupt. According to them, Hawaii needed the United States for their own good. They wanted the monarchy diminished and for Hawaii to be annexed, a territory of the United States. Why go against the people who welcomed them? For money and for power, of course. I mean, we've seen this story before. Hawaii already had a working relationship with the United States in terms of the sugar trade. But now it seemed advantageous for the U.S. to be able to use Hawaii as a port and fueling station since it was a decent stopping point on long trips to Asia. The United States was particularly interested in keeping a close eye on the Philippines. And King Kalakua saw this as an immense threat. A permanent United States port would mean an encroaching presence that could join forces with the already existing Hawaiian League. During the summer of 1887, the Hawaiian League devised a secret plan to intimidate King Kalakua and take some of his authority away. First, they drug the Prime Minister Walter M. Gibson out of his house by a noose and threatened to hang him. On July 6, 1887, they demanded King Kalakua dismiss the Prime Minister and diminish his own authority. They wanted him to sign over a constitution that not only stripped the king of his governing power, but gave voting rights to only those who owned land. The problem was native. Hawaiians didn't really own land. They just lived there. They were indigenous to there. And although majority of the population was literate in their native tongue, there were many that didn't speak English. So a lot of the legality surrounding land ownership was a fairly new concept, and they ended up being taken advantage of. The king reluctantly signed the Constitution at gunpoint. This became known as the Bayonet Constitution. And as for Princess Kailani, this was the start of the decline of her familiar reign. The princess was coming into her, her very own at a very inconvenient time. Given the recent instability, her father thought it best to send her to England to continue her studies. She could return to Hawaii once it was a little more stable. 13-year-old Princess Kailani hated the idea of leaving her home, but before leaving, she would make the acquaintance of Robert Louis Stevenson, author of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, as well as Treasure Island. He had recently been experiencing some health issues and doctors thought the Hawaiian weather would help improve his condition. They became friends leading up to her departure, and he had this to say about the princess departure in a poem. Forth from her land to mine she goes, the island maid, the island rose, light of heart and bright of face, the daughter of a double race. 
her islands here in southern sun, shall mourn their Kailani gone. And I in her dear banyan shade look vainly for my little maid. But our Scots islands far away shall glitter with unwanted day and cast for once their tempest spy to smile in Kailani's eye. Her family and her nation were sad to see her go. She would miss them equally. Hawaii was the only home she knew these past 13 years of life. And on the day of her departure, after saying farewell to the island of Hawaii, she retreated to her quarters in tears. She was told that she would only need to stay in England for a year. But what she described as an exile would last much longer. England was a huge contrast to Hawaii. The winters were cold and harsh, and it wasn't exactly the most diverse place. She often worried about her country and was incredibly homesick. But in between her worrying, she still managed to focus on her studies. She wanted to learn more about world history, as well as perfect her French and German. She also possessed an artistic talent thought to have come from her mother that grew during her time in Europe. The first year passed and the princess would not return home. The situation in Hawaii was only getting worse. Six months later, she received news that her uncle had passed. King Kalakua was dead. She was one of the first and only people to know about his death. News would not reach Hawaii for a few more days. One of the last messages she received from him said, Be on guard against certain enemies. I do not feel free to name in writing. With her uncle and mother both deceased, Princess Kailani's aunt, King Kalakua's sister, was now queen. Queen Lilaokalani. She immediately assumed the throne and shortly after named Princess Kailani her successor. But this wouldn't mean that she could return home. The queen had a lot of work to do before it would be safe for her niece to return. She saw how her brother had been pressured and manipulated, and she wouldn't stand for it. Her first goal was to overturn the bayonet constitution. She wanted to be firm, but not violent, if at all possible. The Committee of Safety had a different stance, and they wouldn't allow it. Any constitution the queen wanted to draft for her people would never see the light of day. They took to the streets armed, and in just a few days, the coup was successful. Queen Lilaokalani fled to the United States to seek assistance with getting her throne back and stopping the madness. But Congress disagreed. Sanford Dole was declared president of Hawaii. And if you're thinking about Dole fruit, you're right on track. James Dole, his cousin, would come to Hawaii in 1899 and set up the company we are all familiar with. Where do you think they got all the pineapples? Across the seas, Princess Kailani received news in the form of three short messages. They read, Queen deposed, monarchy abrogated, breaking news to princess. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
but she could not just sit back and wait for the tide to turn in their favor. She had to get involved in the fate of her nation, but who would listen to her? Barely 17, Princess Kailani made up her mind that she was going to go to America as the voice of Hawaii. She was taking her plight directly to the President of the United States. At the start of this adventure to America, the President was still Benjamin Harrison, but Grover Cleveland had recently been elected. Again. Fun fact, Grover Cleveland was the only president and is the only president in United States history to serve two non-consecutive terms. He was first elected in 1885 and then again in 1893, where we find Kaiulani now. His inauguration would take place on March 4th, 1893, and the princess would set foot in New York on March 1st of the same year. When she arrived in New York City, the streets were buzzing with news of her arrival. The press, of course, was there to greet her. Most of them were just dying to see what she looked like in person, to hear, were the rumors true? Was she a savage or was she a princess? Ah, good old racism. Now, Princess Kailani was not much of a public speaker. I mean, if we're being honest, public speaking is a pretty big fear for most of us already. So try to imagine a second that you're 17 years old in a state you've only ever passed through, hundreds of miles away from home, and you're there in front of a crowd of reporters who doubt you can even speak their language. And you're standing there hoping that the message you deliver is enough to get their attention, and not just their attention, but the president's attention. Princess Kaiulani chose the following words. Unbidden, I stand upon your shores today where I had thought so soon to receive a royal welcome. I come unattended except for the loving hearts that have come with me over the winter seas. I hear that commissioners from my land have been for many days asking this great nation to take away my little vineyard. They speak no word to me and leave me to find out as I can from the rumors of the air that they would leave me without a home or a name or a nation. Seventy years ago, Christian America sent over Christian men and women to give religion and civilization to Hawaii. Today, three of the sons of those missionaries are at your capital, asking you to undo their father's work. Who sent them? Who gave them the authority to break the Constitution which they swore they would uphold? Today, I, a poor, weak girl with not one of my people near me, and all of these statesmen against me have the strength to stand up for the rights of my people. Even now I can hear their wail in my heart and it gives me strength and I am strong, strong in the faith of God, strong in the knowledge that I am right, strong in the strength of 70 million people who in this free land will hear my cry and refuse to let their flag cover dishonor to mine. After her speech, the media was pleasantly surprised. She went on a small tour, taking interviews and photographs in an effort to get people talking about the situation in Hawaii. But there were some people back home who had their suspicions. Maybe she wasn't on a tour just to help Hawaii. Maybe she was on a tour to help herself and to prove herself the better fit for the throne. The Committee of Safety wanted Princess Kailani on the throne because they felt like she was useful enough as a figurehead and would be easy to control. 
So her taking initiative to speak on behalf of Hawaii in the United States only added fuel to the narrative. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Princess Kailani was there for one reason, and one reason only. On March 9th, President Grover Cleveland withdrew the Treaty of Annexation and appointed a man named James Henderson Blunt as a special commissioner to investigate the situation in Hawaii. At this point, he's only been back in office a few short days, but this was high up on his list of priorities. Grover Cleveland was clearly anti-annexation. Just a few days later on March 13th, First Lady Frances Cleveland invited the princess to the White House for lunch. It is unclear exactly what was discussed during their time together. The princess wasn't technically an official political leader, so her visit was treated more as a social call. But it's hard for me to believe that the subject of Hawaii never came up. The princess returned to Europe soon after, but was her visit to America enough? Grover Cleveland was in agreement that Hawaii should remain its own nation. But like Abraham Lincoln before him, he did not believe in punishing those who were involved in the coup. This solution was not enough for the queen. She at the very least wanted these people banished and their land sold. The committee members were of course not on board with this. The only outcome that would satisfy them was annexation. In 1894, they fought against any loyalists who wanted to bring back the monarchy and reestablish the queen's power. They shot at U.S. warships that arrived to have them removed, and they imprisoned or killed anyone who went against their wishes. They used Hawaiian citizens as leverage and told the queen they would free anyone jailed if she agreed to sign over her power and relinquish her throne. She felt obligated to save her people and agreed to the terms. And in January 1895, they arrested her and put her on house arrest. News of the worsening situation in Hawaii consumed Princess Kailani, and she frequently became very sick, her health deteriorating, experiencing migraines and other various illnesses. The stress was literally killing her. Her father would join her in Europe and together they would explore for a while before settling in France. Although Princess Kailani seemed a little happier having her father around, the stress and her health continued to pose a concern. Her condition would only worsen when she and her father learned that her sister Annie, from her father's previous marriage, suddenly died at the age of 29. While in France, Princess Kailani and her father became good friends with their neighbors. They invited her to a bazaar in the hopes that it would lift her spirits. They would be able to have fun, shop, and even watch a movie. But she would be unable to make it due to a debilitating migraine that morning. And there was no way for her to know this at the time, but her neighbors would also not return from that bazaar. The bazaar would burn to the ground after a projector caught fire. 126 of the attendees were killed, the majority of which were women. The entire building was made of wood, with very little windows and poorly marked exits. People died not only by the flames, but by being trampled or crushed by the crowds. It is hard to imagine that Princess Kailani could have been among the deceased. Not long after this close call, Princess Kailani decided that she must return to Hawaii. Against her aunt's wishes, in spite of the danger she felt in her heart, that returning home was the right thing to do. The fire occurred May 4, 1897, and by November of that same year, the princess returned to the shores of Hawaii once again. 
She also stopped in D.C. on the way to Hawaii to see her aunt, who was still advocating for their people. It had been years since they last saw each other. If you recall, in the beginning of the episode when her father originally sent her to England, she was only supposed to be gone for a year. But at this point, she had been gone for eight years in total. When she arrived on the island, she was greeted with cheers. Hawaii's daughter had returned, bringing more hope with her. The same hope she gave the nation when she was just a baby. But things were much different now. It was looking more and more like her mother's prophecy was going to come true. But what about the part about her never being married? Well, there were definitely rumors. She, after all, was very beautiful and fairly eligible depending on how you look at it. I mean, she wasn't married, but her mind was otherwise occupied. Anyone that she was rumored to have been seen could not hold a candle to the love in her heart for her country. Not even her cousin David, who it was suggested at one point should marry her to preserve the monarchy. That April in 1898, the United States would enter the Spanish-American War. Now, what does that have to do with Hawaii exactly? Well, Spain at the time was ruling over the Philippines. There was now an even stronger case for the annexation of Hawaii for military reasons. So the U.S. Navy officially set up shop in Hawaii. The princess put on a brave face for her people, but she was detested. Seeing the American soldiers and sons of those missionaries taking over the island. Many people of Hawaii were still loyal to the monarchy. They sang songs and performed tribute to honor the Kalakaua dynasty. But hope and loyalty were just not enough. During the summer of 1898, the paperwork was rushed through Congress to annex Hawaii. And on August 12, 1898, under the presidency of William McKinley, Hawaii officially became a U.S. territory. A heavy sadness lingered over the island, the feeling of a dark cloud, void of music and tradition. The princess did not attend any events celebrating the annexation. She couldn't even stomach the thought. In the early hours of the morning, the queen returned to Hawaii just before the annexation was made official. She was greeted by a large crowd of sad faces. They cried together and conducted a funeral for the passing of Hawaii. They mourned together. Hearts were completely broken. The Hawaiian flag was no more. The story doesn't exactly end there. The princess and the queen still wanted their people to have the same rights as anyone else, even if they were forced into this arrangement. When the U.S. sent over a small team of commissioners to inspect the new territory, the queen made it a point to make appearances wherever they traveled on the island. Princess Kailani threw a large party at her home and invited the commissioners. No, I'm not sure what kind of dinner they were expecting, but the princess was hosting an elaborate luau. Filled with all of the natural beauties, music, and delicacies of Hawaii, she sat everyone together, both Americans and Hawaiians. The dinner was an overall success. They were misinformed about the people of Hawaii. The conversation was moving forward regarding voting rights for Hawaiians, regardless of land ownership. If you recall by this time, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments had already been passed in the United States. Considering that Hawaii was now a part of the United States, the argument against voting rights for Hawaiian men was quickly falling apart. As a result, the Hawaiian Organic Act was passed in 1900. This established that the people of Hawaii were citizens and entitled to the same rights as any citizen of the United States at that time. But Princess Kailani would not be around to see her citizens participate in the political process, nor would she live long enough to cast her ballot when Hawaiian women had the right to vote. One evening, she was horseback riding with a group of friends in the country. With everything that had occurred, she thought it was best to get out of the city for a while. 
and her health was still very inconsistent and her spirit was crushed. A large storm rolled in and while everyone else pulled back, she continued to ride in the adverse weather. Princess Kailani would become very sick with pneumonia as a result and would not recover. She passed away March 6, 1899 at the age of 23. It is widely believed that it wasn't sickness that killed her, but the loss of her nation, a broken heart. Even her peacocks wept for their princess. This story doesn't exactly have a happy ending and the fight still continues for the native people of Hawaii, against corporate greed. We read a lot about heroes who always come out on top and sometimes that's not the way things go. This isn't a fairy tale. But if there's one thing we can learn from Princess Kaiulani is that as long as we are able, we must speak up regardless of the odds. Passion and heart can give you courage. Don't just fight to win. Fight for what's right. Long live Kaiulani, Hawaii's last princess. Until next time. If you like this episode, consider giving a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. It goes a long way. I promise and I appreciate you. This episode was written by Jordan Howard and edited and narrated by Andre White.